You follow in your copies as I read the entirety of Psalm 19. Here we go. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God, it endures forever. Perhaps the uh, the two biggest stumbling blocks, uh, the two biggest obstacles in the way of the non-Christian in their pursuit of Christianity, if there is indeed a pursuit, are both addressed in this psalm. Um, number one, I guess, is the whole issue of creation. The non-Christian world seems to not be able to get quite beyond the whole... Um, uh, the ninth grade biology class where they were taught that we were evolved from goo. Um, so the whole issue of creation versus evolution is one of the subjects of this psalm. Uh, the other subject, of this, or at least one of the other subjects of this psalm, is this book. You know there's a lot of religious books out there. This is just one of them. Um, you got the Book of Mormon, you got the Koran, you got all kinds of religious books, but this is just one of them. And, uh, you know, well, the way I've been told, uh, says the non-Christian world, is that it's full of errors, full of contradiction, full of myth. Uh, that, too, is addressed in this psalm. But by no means is the purpose of, of this psalm to enter into some kind of argument um, over those issues. Very honestly, this, this, uh, this psalm is designed to answer this question. How is God known? How do I discover what he's like? How do I find out what he loves and what he hates and what he, what he requires? That, that's what's, um, that's what's the subject of this psalm. It is a question of how, how do any of us come to know God? 
You know, there is a, there's a whole school of thought out there that suggests that, um, that God can't be known at all. Uh, and their, their reasoning is this. Uh, if God exists, and that is a giant if for them, but if God exists, he exists in the timeless and the spaceless. And we, being time and space bound, uh, cannot communicate with the timeless and the spaceless. And so we're doomed. We're doomed to uh, live uh, a lifetime of ignorance. Because the timeless and the spaceless cannot communicate with the, 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 the time and the space bound. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this psalm begs to differ. In fact, this psalm is all about communication. Did you notice in verses 1 through 3, words like declare, proclaims, speech, reveals, words, voice? Do you see that, guys? This this psalm is about communication. And the thing that's doing the talking, at least in verses 1 through 6, is nature. The created order. The heavens, the sky, the stars, the sun, they're all mentioned in those first six verses. And they're all talking. They all speak. And they all speak about the same thing. They all speak about the glory of God. Nature has a voice. It's an inaudible voice. It's a nonverbal voice. Even silent. It's, it's, um, it's a, it's an inaudible nonverbal voice. And yet, Information is coming. Information is flowing without words out of nature. The psalm claims that it's also a continuous voice in verse 2. Day to day. It's a universal voice in verse 4. The measuring line goes out through all the earth. There are words to the end of the world. It's an unmistakable voice. Guys, the message, or at least the claim here, is that the message is about a conscious, intelligent, planning, controlling, presiding creator. There is no place on the planet where that voice is not heard. The, the sun and the moon and the stars see to it. They're like, they're like traveling preachers. And, and though there may come a day, folks, uh, maybe sooner than some of us think, but there may come a day when voices like mine are silenced. Preachers like me are, are muted. But the creation, it goes right on preaching, telling us things about God. In, in, in fact, I I I am um, I promise you you have heard its voice. When? When did I hear it? Guys, why does a sunset move you? Why do we sit on the on the, the, the beaches of Destin and just watch and listen and and drink in those waves that keep crashing. When Susan and I were down there in the middle of October, it was a, the weather was beautiful, and, and um, I was kind of out over on the beach by myself, and, and um, Susie was close enough where I could holler at her, and I said, 
Susie, come over here. So she came, and we just sat in a little pavilion for about 20 minutes, and we watched the sun sink. Why does that move us? Why, why, do, we, why do we love that? Because, ladies and gentlemen, nature contains a, a message like no other message from any other source. One of my heroes for the, for the time being is a woman by the name of Simone Weil in Veal, I think. But she said when she considers nature that something stronger than me compelled me to go down on my knees. Don't, don't you relate to that? <laughs> I mean, can't you just remember sitting there and thinking, mm, there's just something it, it makes me, just for a minute or two, or maybe maybe very briefly, it turns me into a little worshiper. Uh, she also said, that as Simone Veal said, the soul knows for after considering nature, the soul knows for certain only that it is hungry. Isn't that, don't you get that? I mean, don't you, doesn't that happen to you? You're, you're, you're drinking all this in and you think... Mm, there's something, there's something else. There's What nature does, folks, is that it tells us that there's something that's bigger than I am. And it shouts, design. It shouts, designer. Even though I may not want it to. Even though I may be a committed evolutionist, which I am not, but it shouts to me that there's design. I don't want that message. I don't agree with that message, but it shouts nonetheless. Now, guys, let me, let me, let me kind of summarize these first six verses with three quick thoughts. First of all, you simply cannot read verses 1 through 6 and say, oh, that's all here by chance. Now, you can say this. You can say this book is false. You can say that. But you can't say that what I just read in those first six verses allows me to conclude that everything in nature is by chance. You can reject it. You can call it false. Yes, but the claims that are there is of a designer and a designer. And if you believe this book, for folks, you are forced to reject that silly notion that we're some kind of grown-up germ, some accidental collocation of atoms. No, no. There's a master design that's behind all of this. Secondly, ladies and gentlemen, the only creature on the planet that rebels at that is mankind. The rest of the creatures don't. They, they love that. You know, I heard it said one time that if the if the animals could um, get together in some kind of convocation uh, where they're in charge, the first decision that they would make is that they would throw us all off the planet because we're the ones ruining it. Uh, they know there's all. Do you remember the story, ladies and gentlemen? Do you remember the story in the triumphal entry? 
when Jesus tells his disciples to go get him, get him a little colt, a little baby donkey to ride into Jerusalem. And Mark adds that it had never been sat on. Now, you, you know what a donkey does and one that's never been sat on. And it's a young little strapping little donkey, uh, you know, and nobody has ever tamed it. But Jesus comes in and it yields itself to the purpose of the master. All of creation does. Except us. Third, nobody, nobody ought to be a friend of the environment like Christians. Guys, ecology ought to be our message, not Greenspeace. We respect this planet because it preaches. It preaches about God's glory. His glory is on display in this thing. And so we protect it. Because we want its message to be heard clearly. That's the first part of this psalm. The second part of the psalm starts in verse 11. And as glorious as his nature, as glorious as nature is, it is not the only communicator, nor is nature enough. If I were an animal, nature would be enough. Creation or nature speaks, it just doesn't speak enough. And as glorious as the music of the heavens is, it cannot tell me anything in a detailed way about what God is like and who he, what, he, what he expects. You see, not only am I a sentient being, do you, you know that word sentient? Um, it means that I have senses, that I, I'm a feeling creature. Not only am I a sentient being, I'm also a, 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 a thinking being. I have questions. I, I need more to convert my soul than nature will tell me. Nonverbal communication is good. I, I'll tell you who is really good at it is my wife. She is really good at that nonverbal stuff. I mean, she directs me all lots by saying nothing. But um, nonverbal communication is good, but it's not enough. Its message is often missed. Um, nonverbal communication might tell me certain things, but, but how does it say this? How does it say, because of who you are, I want to spend the rest of my life with you? It, it can't, guys. Nature, according to Paul in Romans 1, brings us to the place where we're rendered excuseless. And so, not only did God give me a non-written body of communication, He gave me a written one. He could have left me only with creation and, and, and my myriad of questions, but He didn't. He gave me a book which is the subject of verses 7 through 11. How would I ever know that this God is willing to receive prodigal sinners who are as wicked as I am if it hadn't told me the parable of the prodigal son? Guys, I want you to notice this also. 
Notice the shift in the names. Look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. But then in in verse 7 through 11, the name is Lord, Yahweh. In verses 1 through 6, the name is El. But in in verses 7 through 11, it is switched to the covenantal Yahweh name. Because God's nature, as good as it is, it won't convert my soul. But these five verses give me an indicator as to what is the, what is, what I've got in my hands here. Gang, in five verses, verses seven through eleven, I am given six titles, six descriptions, and six results. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect. Okay, there's the title. The law of the Lord. All right, here's the description, is perfect. And then here is the effect or the result, uh, converting the soul. Your, your, your translation might have reviving. It's a, I think it's better translated converting, but it's the same thing. It converts the soul. Now, something that I would suggest to you, if you'd like to have a little fun this afternoon, take all six of them and add up all six titles, all six descriptions, and all six results and see what you get. It all adds up, ladies and gentlemen, to suggest to me and you that this is one amazing piece of communication from God. You want to know God? Here he is. You have questions about God? Well, he's answered them. Ignorance about God is my fault, not his. Everything I need to know about him is right in here. Oh, but Jimmy, it's, it's such a difficult book to understand. Well, guys, what did you expect? We're not exactly talking about Peter Pan here. And, and besides, you did say you wanted to know God, didn't you? Okay. God has gone to great extremes to introduce himself to us in here. Guys, could I, could I just, let me just show you. I want to read you the six titles that are given in these five verses. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. Now add all that up and what do you come up with? The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the rules of the Lord. What would you come up with? If you, if you listed all those things, you'd put a line in it and add them all up. What, would, what word would you put down there as the sum total of that? Here's the one I would use. Authority. This is a book of authority or with authority. It converts the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It's righteous altogether. That's what this book is, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, I I could spend a lot of time on each one of the titles. There's six. Each one of the descriptions. There's six. And each one of the the effects of the results. There's six of those. But we don't have time, and and we're not going to do that. But let let me just... Let me just kind of dash through some some observations about the book, okay? 
uh, in these, these five verses. First of all, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice the sequence. Look, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Do you see those three effects? Converting the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart. Now, really, all we really want is number three, the rejoicing the heart thing. All we really want is a little joy and a little happiness, you know. But the point is you can't have those without numbers one and number two in that order. The first thing that the law of the Lord does is that it converts the soul. It then takes a converted soul and makes it wise. And having made it wise, the result is we have a little bit of joy in our lives. But ladies and gentlemen, it comes in that sequence and that sequence only. Converting the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart. I know you want to have a heart that rejoices. So do I. Well, there's only one way that it comes. You know, you're a little low on happiness, are you? Then without one smidgen of hesitation, I say this to you. Don't buy another gadget. Carve out some time someplace. And begin to get to know your God through this book. He converts the soul. He makes wise the simple. You know, guys, I need to be wise because I am simple. I'm miseducated. I'm malinformed. What makes, what gives wisdom? Well, it's not really so much a knowledge of this book. It's a knowledge of the God of this book. It's a knowledge of the God that this book describes. That makes wise the simple and it gives joy. But only in that order. Second, look at verse 9b. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I draw your attention to that righteous altogether. Here's the point. Separately and collectively, God's word is true. What is good in detail is excellent in the whole. It's righteous altogether. No one part of it is truer than any other part of it. All of it is righteous altogether. Now, guys, the Bible is not a science book. But when it speaks about science, it speaks accurately about science. The Bible is not a... Not a history book but when it speaks about history it speaks accurately and i i wonder how many people who have been converted with just that that is like this um i think his name was francis sir francis ramsey who decided he was going to set out and he was going to disprove the bible because he was going to show how inaccurate the book of acts was early first century church and so he set out to disprove the bible and he spent the next three years trying and his conclusion was luke the author of acts was the most accurate historian and his geography was more accurate than any other author he had ever read as a result he comes to christ himself it is righteous altogether all of it ladies and gentlemen though its intention is not to teach you science when it speaks of science, you had better discard your biology book 
And listen to this. It's righteous altogether. Verse 10, number 3. Look what verse 10 claims. Um, It is to be desired above gold. It is sweeter than honey. It is a spiritual treasure to be pursued. Gang, um, is that your opinion of this book? That this thing is better than gold? Guys, do you know what a mercy this book is to us? What, what a gift God made us. Can I challenge you? Put down your novels and pick up this book. This book of books. It is better than fine gold and sweeter than honey. More to be desired. Pursue it. Fourth, in verse 11, it says, Moreover, moreover by them, that is your statutes, is your servant warned. <laughs> oh, isn't that the truth? It steers me around and, and, and through the landmines that want to blow me to smithereens. You know, I love that about this book. It's like a map telling me the best way to get from point A to point B. It says, no, 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 Jimmy, don't go that direction because if you go that direction, there's going to be some, you know, don't go that direction, go this direction. And every time I refuse to follow its instructions, y'all know what happens. It, um, it is a warning to the people of God as to how to get from one place to the next. And then in keeping them, that's verse 11b, in keeping them there is great reward. You know, um, I'm not sure what to promise you in terms of the reward, but I can promise you this. A quieted conscience. A quieted conscience not because I read it and it was a good thing that I did and so consequently I feel like a good person and now I'm, I have a quieted conscience. No, guys, it's just that once you come into contact with the God who wrote this, there's something about the conscience that settles down. It gets quieted. Now, and then finally, I say about verses 7 11, nobody, nobody could read those seven verses, those five verses, verses 7 through 11, and then say, This book is full of error. Oh, you can say that, but just know when you say it, you are flying into the face with all of your opposition to this book because, ladies and gentlemen, it's true and righteous altogether. For you to say it's full of error is to say, I don't believe this book. Okay. You can say that. I wouldn't advise it, but you can. Now, we're not done. There's one other section of the psalm. The psalm really is not done because there's another way that's mentioned in this psalm through which God communicates in verses 12 through 14. And it is through my conscience. Conscience kind of opens the window of my soul and lets the light shine in. The conscience is the third way, the third book by which I discover something about God. 
And as flawed as it is, that is my conscience, it still gives me evidence about God. It still speaks. I, I can, I can throw away this book and I can even shut my eyes to nature and never look at it. But my conscience will always find me. Gang, the way to know myself is to know God's word. What reveals myself to me? God's word does that. And then my conscience operates and says, yes, that is true about you. Or no, that is not true about you. Gang, um, look at what the psalm says. It says in verse 12, who can discern his errors? Nobody. There are sins that I committed that are hidden from me. If I were asked to list my sins, I would come up with a list of a thousand, when in fact there are ten thousand. I've been fooled by me. If you have any doubt about that, then I would recommend you go check out that series that I did this summer on envy. Secret sins, hidden faults. There were things that I did that when I did them, I didn't think they were sin. I didn't even know that they were sin. I didn't think I was sinning and then discover that it was. Sin had deceived me. It's like a mole on my back. I can't see it. Somebody's got to point it out to me. It says in verse 13, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. You know those, those presumptuous ones, those ones that I committed because I thought I was a big shot? Like David and Bathsheba, when I thought I was really hot, I was reading my newspaper clippings and I did things that were presumptuous. You know, guys, there's not another person in the room that may know it was a presumptuous sin but you. How did you find out? Your conscience. Your conscience told you. My conscience serves me like that. It's a personalized voice of God in me. And when it is trained by and educated by this book, it's my friend. In fact, it says, keep back your servant from. It holds me back. It restrains me. It stops me from doing things that otherwise I may have done. It's a voice. It's a voice that God put in there that speaks to you. So Psalm 19 tells us of the knowledge of God in nature. That's called natural revelation. It tells us of the knowledge of God in scripture, which is called special revelation. And then it tells us about a knowledge of God that we get through conscience. All of which were simply preparations for the crowning piece of communication from God. And that, of course came in Jesus Christ. God sent one more unmistakable piece of information about himself in God made flesh. It's called, he's called the Logos, this grand piece of communication. We get to know God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is in Hebrews 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. 
the same book that exposes my secret sins is the book that also tells me that God has provided a means by which my sin might be forgiven. You know, um, I have non-Christians say to me uh, on occasion, uh, um, they say, um, I don't believe this book. I believe in a God of love. And I say in reply, where did you learn that God was a God of love? Who told you that? You know where you got that? From here. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. He is a God of love. And he has demonstrated that. In making provision in Christ for sinners like us. Do you know that, God? Our Father, I do pray that you'll use your word to remind us that it is a treasure um, more to be desired than fine gold. It is to be pursued and understood because in it we discover you, we find you, we hear you, we know you. It tells us what you love and what you hate. It tells us what you requires. It tells us that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. Oh God, we bless you and worship you for what grand provision you have made for people as undeserving as I. Get glory, Father, from my life as well as this church's, our individual lives. Might this church bring you glory as well. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.